baseball fans. BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free to play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free to play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning and welcome back. This is part two of our special um, edition and uh, it's the inaugural um, Silicon Beach Congressional Debate. And uh, we're thrilled to have you. Those of you listening live, this is a, a special two-hour segment. Um, so this is our second hour. And those of you who are listening by podcast, this is part two. And um, be sure to check out part one where we have Elon Carr and um, Ted Liu. Um, likely who may actually may be the likely candidates um, in the runoff. Um, after um, we, we're going to have David Knuss in a second and then uh, Miriam Williamson, um, we're going to be talking to Kobe King, uh, a, a Southern California political commentator, about what, what this all means and what to expect on June 3rd. And um, so without further ado, um, here's your candidates. Um, this is Bennett Kelly. Our next um, candidate we're talking to as part of the Silicon Beach debate is a, a gentleman named David Knuth, who's got a lot of buzz um, because he kind of broke out of nowhere um, and um, was the top candidate in fundraising when the, when the first round of FEC reports were released in the first week of April. Um, David and I, in full disclosure, I always try to disclose what um, potential biases I may have. Um, David is a public, was a public defender for a number of years, and I am the son of a public defender, so I think that's the, and the only connection we may share. Um, David um, went to school in Boston, as they say, and um, came back and went to law school um, for a number of years and then um, went back to law school Chris. And um, Dave, public defender, and now has decided to run for Congress. And um, David, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you very much. Very nice to be here. So, um, tell and us about your, your, your experience. I'm sorry, interrupt. Go ahead. Defender. I'm, I can only imagine the uh, the propaganda in the house as a kid. That's great. <laughs> 
I, I actually, it's funny because I actually dated a, a, in college a, a girl whose father was a cop, and and I joke, I jokingly told him that my dad puts crooks where they belong back on the street. Um, didn't go over well, but <laughs> but any any event, um, why don't you tell us about your experience before um, law school when you're working in, in tech? When I first moved out here, as you say, from Boston, um, I graduated from Harvard and spent about six months traveling, and then. Uh, and then got out here, and I was in Westwood, which was the, I think to some extent, Silicon Beach before there was Silicon Beach. And um, I went and met with a company called E-Teams that had just won the Anderson School uh, business plan competition and got the tiniest bit of seed funding. And there were about five people or maybe six people in one office in the tower there uh, on Wilshire and went and had lunch with a guy and, and got really excited about what they were doing and came back the next day with my own laptop and started, uh, just became sort of the seventh person in the room. And we grew, uh, it was a great company that basically took amateur sports and put it online. Um, so the, the phone chain of whether or not you never had this problem in uh, LA, but in Columbus, Ohio, we never knew if practice was canceled for rain or things like that. Um, it put all that stuff online and this was 1999. So it wasn't as, obvious as it would be today to right yes more efficient so we had everything from who was bringing the orange slices to uh we, you could also upload your team photos and your stats and the schedule and the kids loved it because they could see themselves online which especially back then kind of was like seeing your picture in the newspaper it was that the line between the two was was less clear back then so um the coaches would write you know articles about the games and they got incredibly enthusiastic and we uh not really unlike what I'm doing right now. It was a super grassroots um, growth process. We were, our competitors sometimes went straight to the organizations like, you know, the Little League Baseball and of America and things like that and tried to go from the top down. We started with the coaches and the families and went from the, the ground up and it was really effective and I spent a ton of time. I was in business development, but a lot of my time was on the phone talking with coaches, trying to get little tiny subsets of leagues uh, signed up, and it was a really rewarding, both on the technology side, which was amazing watching what that could do, but also, you know, I I love sports, and I love watching, uh, you know, other people get excited about their team, so it was a great experience. So we ultimately e- sold that company, E-Teams, to uh, Active.com, and it's still thriving. They're still using it. And then you worked with another company. What was that? Yeah, the uh, few of us that uh, were... The founder of E-Teams, a guy named Brian Johnson, is a great guy. Uh, and I and a couple other investors started a company called Zads, Z-A-A-D-Z. And that was uh, essentially a socially network, network site for, social network site for uh, anybody from somebody who buys an organic piece of fruit to somebody who does yoga three times a day. It was sort of a, a quiet spa-like feel for a, a social network environment, um, which, you know, was a very interesting process to, to keep it that way. And the people who were, were there were incredibly active because they really sort of sought out that kind of environment. And uh, we developed and, developed and grew that company for about three or four years. And then we sold it to uh, Gaium, uh, which is another publicly traded company. It was a great, great uh, process and experience for everybody. So while, while 
Well, Ted Liu in the race does have the distinction of being a computer engineer de- degree. Um, you would have the distinction of really being the only candidate in the race who comes from Silicon Beach, in, in you know, and from a professional basis. And uh, what has been the re- the response to Silicon Beach to your campaign? It's been very positive. You know, in fact, the last two years, I was a public defender for seven years, but the last two years I've had my own practice. And about half uh, half of my business has come from people that I've kept in touch with over the years who now have all sort of uh, gone west. And I live in Venice as well, um, so are in my neighborhood. And um, <clears throat> these are small companies that just don't have the have the bandwidth or capital for uh, a general counsel at this point. So... I kind of step in and I wouldn't say that I offer, you know, the, the high end legal advice for them. Half of what I do probably is just consulting, but I've, I've kept in touch very much with not only that part of this city, but also that part of my brain. Um, so I, I do get, uh, not only, uh, I've had a lot of people jump in and, and help us. We're trying to run a, a very lean and efficient, uh, digital campaign strategy. So a lot of people have been quick to help and, and give us their thoughts and feedback and their experiences and areas outside of the political context, but that are sort of uh, analogous to what we're doing. And then also they've been contributors and, and, you know, hopefully uh, everybody follows through as they say they will. And uh, they're going to be great about getting out the vote too on June 3rd. So um, let's jump into some of the issues that, that are kind of core issues maybe for the community. And I noticed, you know, on your website, you do indicate you, you support net neutrality. Is that correct? Yes, very much so. And um, another big issue for the community has been, this may be kind of like speed dating, um, but um, another big issue has, has been um, the, the NSA. And, and do you support efforts to try to reform the NSA to address some of the, the surveillance issues? I do, and uh, especially uh, as the son of a public defender might agree, um, I'm particularly, uh, I mean, it, it hits what is already a sensitive area. I I went to law school because I wanted to study constitutional law. I didn't know exactly that it would lead me to be uh, a public defender and a criminal defense attorney, but I did know that the government and other areas overreaching um, in, in certain profiling and other areas, you know, bothered me. And it was what I spent my time reading about and writing about. Um, so that's actually what led me to law school. And then one of the most uh, rewarding parts of being a criminal defense attorney is when you do actually get to, um, to fight against those overreaches, whether, you know, when it happens and it's the NSA and it's online and it's intercepting phone calls, that's a, that's another realm that I didn't deal with, but I did deal with people just getting stopped on the street or pulled over in their cars um, and it's it's very hard to um, you're always fighting an uphill battle when you're in front of a judge saying look because you know a police officer or an NSA agent or whoever it is is never going to jump out and admit oh yeah my bad I think I may have crossed across a constitutional line here they're going to have a a revisionist history and the people that are being uh, subjected to that and losing their they're watching their liberty diminish before their eyes it's always their word against a government agent of some kind and. Um, that's uh, not a, a battle that I shy away from at all. In fact, it's one that I've fought many times and uh, and had the pleasure to win on, on many occasions. So it is so, important uh, very much. That, that's also a major theme of your campaign is, is running um, as an outsider and trying to bring a new voice to Congress. And you know, what does that mean on a practical level? You know, once you get to Washington, how will what you 
do be different than what any other candidate would be doing? I think it is important, you know, if you want a different kind of result, you've got to you got to look for a different kind of leadership. And so I'm not the only outsider in this campaign, but I think right there, you know, we, our problem in Washington isn't that um, we're electing people that don't have enough political experience. Um, in fact, it's it's probably the opposite. So I do think it's important to get people with an out, outside perspective. And as far as my outside candidacy, you know, I, I, I've been there and, ha- and had that, that conversation with judges, as I say, have the practical experience of building a company, of being in court and advocating for clients that face an you know, uphill battle in the toughest time in their lives. Um, and I think ultimately the difference is somebody who's actually been out there doing things. And I, you know, whoever goes into Congress uh, from the 33rd is going to, uh, I'm going to assume for a second, they're going to be in the minority party uh, in Congress. And they're going to, no matter what, you're walking into a very stubborn, um, seemingly immovable uh, body. And, you know, Again, as the son of a public defender, you would understand that uh, every time I walk into a courtroom, whether as a public defender or on my own in, in private practice, you know, I'm the second least popular guy in the courtroom, and I, I have to deal with that. Every- um, but what I've, I've really found in, in, in that time, in over nine years in the courtroom, is you show up every day passionate, ready to work, uh, prepared, and... Um, you know, more than competent. And over time, you start to wear those people down, whether they be the, the DA or the, the judge, even, you know, a, a, a bailiff with a big chip on his shoulder, you know, you start where, where things couldn't happen before they start to happen because you show up and people respond uh, to your passion and to your ability to ultimately just persuade over time. And, and I assure you, there are the version of, uh, there is a DA out there that I would call a, a Tea Party DA and a Tea Party judge and a Tea Party bailiff. And you may not get you know, they may not give you the store, but over time they start to respect you and things happen that couldn't happen before. And that's what I think we have to trust can still happen in Congress, uh, even though we're all frustrated with what we've seen. Um, we're running short on time, so very quickly, if I can zip through a few other issues that are of interest. I can oversight. Um, you, you know, should the, um, the Department of Commerce maintain its its supervisory role on, on some limited basis with, vis-a-vis ICANN? Uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, what I think is diluting, you know, the United States control over the structure of the internet. Um, if there are trusted allies, I'm I'm comfortable with it. Um, but ultimately, I, I like us having, uh, you know, there are certain countries out there that I don't want to dilute our, our control of the internet with. Right. Uh, a big issue for consumers, and one that's been in the news lately, is on the issue of do not track. Um, should consumers have the right to um, opt out of um, you know online tracking and, with websites, and should Congress mandate it? You know, I think that they should. Uh, I think people should have control over what, how much information they're giving up. I also think, uh, even more importantly, that there should just be more transparency as to what I, I, I want to know exactly. I may be okay with it. I may not, but I want to have the option of, you know, any given service um, what exactly is happening and not just uh, you know sometimes I think especially for those that are less tech savvy they're just you know they're clicking on things like accept and they don't really understand what's happening and I do think ultimately you know once people can opt in or out of what they want to share the market will will bear out you know people will go to the to the services that don't require um, 
a higher level of tracking or, or it's diminished their sort of uh, privacy online. And then um, last quick question, um, the fast track um, for the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, do you support that? I do not support a fast track. Okay. Um, in just a, f- a few, in a minute or so, um, why don't you just give us your closing statement for why um, David Canoe should be the 33rd um, district um, representative in Washington? Uh, well, I would just tell you a little bit about what sets me aside again, which is, um, you know, we need we need real change in Washington. We need a different tone, uh, specifically to some of the concerns that uh, that you might have and your your listeners might have. I think that I'm bringing a, a real world, not only uh, experience of persuading and and moving immovable immovable forces in the courtroom, but before that, um, real hands on, starting in a room with nothing but sometimes not even a computer yet, and knowing how, uh, how to build a business specifically uh, in the technology sector and understanding the, the hurdles that, that everybody faces and the triumphs and how they feel and, and how it feels also when government is a friend and also when government is a foe. Um, I think that's what we need. It's not something that I've uh, written about. It's not something that I've consulted with people about. It's something that I've done. I've had my hands... Uh, my hands dirty in that arena. And um, that's what I, you know, if I look back at myself when I was in early Silicon Beach, that's who I'd want to vote for. That's who I'd want representing me in Washington. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you. Um, you're certainly the only candidate to quote David Ortiz in his campaign videos. And um, But um, best of luck to you, and thanks again for participating. If people want um, more information on your campaign, where should they go? com, and you can see that Ortiz quote right there. I'm, I'm happy to stand. <laughs> I am. I don't regret a word of it. It's amazing he's gotten so much press, but um, congratulations on, on running a good campaign so far, and uh, look forward to, to seeing it through. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics. So you know they're SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. The Web Marketing Association is now accepting entries for the 18th Annual International Web Award Competition. Web Marketing Award winners receive an image plaque, certificate of achievement, higher visibility for your company, valuable feedback from our expert judges, and links to your site from the highly ranked Web Award site. Visit www.webaward.org to nominate your company, site, or organization. The call for entries has begun, and the deadline to enter is May 30th, 2014. Go to www.webaward.org and sign up today. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is authoritylabs.com. 
WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Our next guest is um, a, a different type of uh, candidate. Her, her name is Marion Williamson, and she's an internationally acclaimed writer. Um, she is the founder of Project Angel Food here in Los Angeles, and um, and she is running as an independent in this race and has got quite a lot of buzz. And uh, for a lot of people, it's been viewed as this outsider um, you know, completely um, uphill struggle until the FEC reports came out that showed that she raised over a million dollars. Um, she's demonstrated a strong grassroots support in the community. So it's it's she's getting a lot of press now as a viable candidate and one who could possibly make it to the runoff. Um, in full disclosure, I have been to um, one of her events. Um, she had a, a, co- a colleague of mine, Adam Winkler, speak on Citizens United, and I was there before um, it was the week that um, Congressman Waxman dropped out um, to retire, and I also saw her speak once at UCLA. But um, Ms. Williamson, it's great to have you. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> and so uh, the purpose of, of these interviews is really to try to um, – Get candidates' attention for a minute to talk a little bit about about Silicon Beach and uh, and so I was wondering in your you've been very active in the grassroots and what has been um, your response so far from the Silicon Beach community? Well, I think that my uh, support is from pretty much across the district. It's uh, I'm not going to spend the money that we have gathered so far on too much specific tracking. Uh, of where the support comes from, but given its uh, its location and given the support that we obviously have around Santa Monica and Venice and the like, I think it's fair to say that we have a lot of support from Silicon Beach. Now, um, what what in terms of if you had to do a just a short message to Silicon Beach as to why you would best represent them in Congress, what would you say? Well, I see. Uh, the Internet as a bastion, one of the last bastions of democracy. Uh, The 1996 Telecommunications Act, I think, was one of the most nefarious of uh, all pieces of legislation in our history. When I was a child, it was was considered a sacred civic principle that the same company couldn't own your television studio and your radio uh, station and your um, and your a newspaper, because it was understood how important a wide variety of education wa- of, of opinions were. With the 1996 Telecommunications Act, of course, uh, those firewalls came down, and thus began the era of corporate media, a few corporations who control most of the mainstream media. Now, at that time, when it was done, the government's position was that the variety of opinion was protected by the fact that the Internet existed. Well, <laughs> it's proven to be true in that, uh, the Internet is this last bastion of, of equal opportunity uh, for expression of opinion, equal opportunity for startup entrepreneurship, all of those things, that without which there is not even a modicum anymore. There's not even a pretense anymore of the equality and a real free flow of opportunity in our society. So for one thing, I feel very, very strongly about that. I feel that the assaults on net neutrality, which seem to be a trend now, uh, the, the idea that our government is heading uh, the assault rather than protecting us from the assault is so uh, typical 
of, of the problems that we have in our country today, and it's why I'm running for Congress. So for one thing, that would be number one, that uh, net neutrality is extremely important to me, uh, not just to protect those countries, uh, those companies, but to protect the citizens of the United States and our access to um, information, our, our rights to privacy, our access to uh, equal opportunities at starting businesses and so forth. The other reason I think Silicon Beach might feel uh, that I'm a candidate aligned with their values, that I would hope so, would have to do with the protection of privacy. I think that uh, there's a lot of responsibility uh, resting on the shoulders of Silicon Beach right now, uh, of all technology companies, because I think that they should be taking the greatest stand um, against any government intrusion on our privacy, as well as our uh, equal access to the net. And they would find in me a very uh, passionately devoted partner in those efforts. Now, when when I saw you speak, it was at the um, Santa Monica, I think it's called the Women's Hall, um, beautiful facility. But you you spoke quite uh, quite a bit about um, the current situation with the NSA, and um, you know the need for greater privacy protections. What would you? What do you think is the most important thing to to achieve there? What What are some steps that we can take that would you know turn the corner? Well, I'd like to see the NSA shut down personally, and I support, you know, it's Rand Paul, who is the only congressperson, uh, I think, who is really taking them on. I think that this privacy issue is just one more area where ever since 9-11, the government has used this, this vague rubric of war on terrorism to justify things that to me are as, are as frightening as any external threat. Um, so I have uh, quite an issue with, with, N- with the NSA in, domestic, in terms of domestic surveillance, but I also have a, a real issue with the drones that are on their way. Uh, the technological capacity of a drone is to know who you're sleeping with, what your login details are, and who walked, just walked into the room. So I think that we are very naive um, if we are willing to simply uh, take the word from a government that we know was recently forced to admit and to acknowledge the NSA spying is now telling us not to worry about our privacy because of drones. So one of the things that I would be very um, passionate about in Congress uh, would be an effort for congressional hearings on regulations of these drones. I mean, we all know that there's some good things that they can do, but I think that the average American is vastly underestimating uh, the potential threat to um, our privacy and in a very real way our freedom as well by this just you know, plethora of drones that are here and on their way. There will be a whole lot more. And also, as you know, let alone the privacy issue. There's also just the, the safety issue. I think there was an incident recently at yeah, some airport. With you're absolutely right. And I was reading an article where the private pilots, not just private pilots, commercial pilots, were saying, "Oh, great! One more thing we have to worry about. Thanks, guys." Right? Because right. if you're a drone, yeah, you know, there's nobody in that cockpit to go, "Oh, holy cow!" Beer to the left. Right. Right, and, and, thank and you we for... know in airplanes more than anything else, it's the it's the eyesight of the pilot that is the greatest protector. Right, you know, the pilots are always course, looking around. Of course, we're on radio, and they probably wouldn't say "Holy cow!" But <laughs> you better believe it. But uh, <laughs> I was thinking. But yeah, show. I mean. It's the it's the you know it's, you know bumper cars are fine in an amusement park, but we don't want bumper airplanes. Absolutely. And you know that's that seems to be what they might be creating. Now you one. Whole, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, please. Well, just the way these things happen, and there's no sense of and and, and you know I, I grew up in a society where, or at least we thought we were living in a society where the government could be counted on to to certainly a good extent to protect us from egregious overreach. 
um, by forces uh, that we might have to concern ourselves with. And today, it's like the government is chopping the wood and carrying the water for those forces. It's a very disturbing moment for anybody with their eyes wide open. Now, um, excuse me. I, I remember uh, being at the, the library opening for President Clinton, and uh, President um, George W. Bush was praising Clinton and saying that how skilled a politician he was because he could shake your hand and kiss your baby at the same time. And um, in, in, in this district, there, there's a challenge, I think, um, two communities that are also are very much potential supporters of yours, but um, are, aren't necessarily aligned on some issues. And it seems that the entertainment and the technology communities seem to um, sometimes come into conflict. And one area that may come up is with Fast Track for the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement. And uh, I don't know if you've formulated a position on the, the, that. I have a very strong position. I am completely against it. Uh, to me, it is a multinational corporate coup. It completely overrides U.S. sovereignty. Uh, the Obama administration didn't want to share uh, any of the details of negotiations with members of Congress for good reasons. They themselves said, they, uh, one of their own co- uh, Commerce uh, uh, Department officials said they didn't want to share it because it might have gotten derailed. And yet, the administration did share the details with 600 corporate executives. So to me, it's just an example of the same old rotten stuff that we have to be worried about elsewhere. Now, I believe the only reason we are aware of the contents was of a leak from a Canadian representative. I mean, that I, I think did that's. Not yes, I mean, it, it, didn't know that. It, 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 really, the opposite. Whatever the song, with the the, the inverse yeah, of Canada. Canada. <laughs> yeah. um, now, um, yes, and so yeah, there is, and for those who are listening, um, you know, we are um, talking about um, whether or not there should be fast track authority that would you know require. Um, you know, up or down votes on whether these treaties move forward. Now, um, one issue that is comes up frequently. In fact, there's a a major cybersecurity conference in in uh, in Los Angeles on Friday. Is is the issue of cybersecurity and what should be done? And this has been tension between the Obama administration and the business community over whether to what extent um, businesses should be um, required. To take certain actions, you know, whether government can mandate cybersecurity or whether you know the government should just encourage. And I don't know if you have a view on really what the role you see the role of government is in terms of whether we're at a point where we need to mandate certain actions in that area. In that area, I would go with encourage. When it comes to the safety of our food, safety of our environment, all of those things, I I am a mandated person. But when it comes to the uh, issues that you're talking about, like cybersecurity, I'm an encourager person. And um, in terms of in your encounters with the the tech community, uh, what what you know, I'm sure well, I'm raising tech issues, but are, are is the tech community raising tech issues or are they raising other issues? I can't really know. I I, I don't really know because if you're doing an event, um, you know nobody's wearing a sign that says I'm from the tech community. Uh, I know that I did do an event where I knew the majority of the people were, were in the tech community, and it was the very day uh, that the FCC and Mr. Wheeler had uh, uh, you know, expressed his uh, feelings about new um, uh, net neutrality rules. And I, at that event, was warning the tech community that we as Americans, and in a way particularly their community, should not be seduced 
by the charms of easy money and to in any way be willing to trade even a modicum of our freedom for the fun and joy of the fact that, wow, we can make a lot of money doing this. And the and, tech community should be, while these so many of these people are, and God bless them and you know, good on them, being very successful in the marketplace with their technology companies, I reminded them of their sober responsibility, not only to themselves, but to their children and to their country, to remember that that should be the first and the last line held uh, when it comes to uh, government overreach, um, privacy issues, and so forth. I do remember that conversation. It was quite meaningful. I'm sure it was. Um, Now, one thing that that struck me about your campaign is you actually been very – uh, even though there are some people in the race from the tech community, and um, Senator Liu actually is a, is a computer science major, you've been very effective in the use of social media. Have, has, have people from the community mentioned that at all to you? Well, I think that, you know, uh, social media, I remember when computers became all the rage, and I remember a big, communi- a big computer person saying to me, you know, the real news in computers is not what they can do, but what they can't do. And I think the big news in social media sometimes is not what it can do, but what it can't do. What, it, it, there is something that social media can do when it is an expression of people power. And that's why I have been um, fortunate with the reach uh, that the campaign has had via social media. It's simply because the ideas um, are aligned with, with where people's hearts are today. American people are waking up. You know, every 40 or 50 years, you know, a generation of Americans wakes up and goes, you know, what the hell's going on here? And that's what's happening today. So I think that it's not about the social media, per se. It's about how many people are saying, we don't want to just perpetuate the status quo. We want that candidate who wants to disrupt the status quo. We, you know, we, we, we don't want just the same old, same old. We want a more real conversation, a more authentic conversation, one that talks about societal conscience, that that deals with the fact that we have the second highest child poverty rate among advanced nations of the world, that we have a, a gaping gap between rich and poor in this country that is not only immoral and unethical and undemocratic, but unsustainable. We want to have a real conversation about the fact that we have the highest mass incarceration rate in the world. We want to have a real conversation about GMOs, but the fact that we can't deal with them adequately. The climate change, we can't deal with it adequately, and a lack of universal health care, but we can't deal with it adequately because the multinational corporations that get their, their economic needs met, as they perceive them, before the needs and the well-being of the American people. Social media is like saying you've had, you've had a lot of, of um, to say you've had a lot of luck with social media is like saying you've had a lot of luck uh, using your mouth to speak. Well, yeah, (laughs) what matters there was what you had to say and the fact that you passionately wanted to say it. And and, and, uh, means it's not an end. Right. I I just think that you've used um, some some pieces in a way that made them more viral than other candidates were doing. But um, right now there seems to be a – I actually pointed it to another candidate in another race. I said you might want to look at what you're doing um, because it's been very effective. Now, one – you know, we actually have some throwbacks to the olden days in this race with Matt Miller coming out with a kind of a traditional campaign song even. And your your campaign is countered with a song by Alanis and uh, Morissette. <laughs> how cool so, is that, huh? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, how do you top that? What has the response been to that so far? 
Well, it's, you know, it's the consciousness of this district. I say to people all the time, you know, I don't want to just represent your, your interests. I want to represent your consciousness, your worldview. And that's why I, I think that my candidacy is, it, it, it has energy in this district because this is more in line with the energy of this district. We don't do the same old, same old. This is not a place where people come to just do the same thing everybody's doing everywhere else. So, you know, people they like the fact that this campaign is like, no, we do it our way. That's very L.A. You start new conversations in L.A., and it's a, it's a national trend within five years. And also, Alanis Morissette lives in this district. So yes, and it's Monica, exciting. Yeah. yeah, and Jackie uh, Khan, who did a, thing for, did a, did a um, thing for us. Very cool. Well, I haven't seen that. I look forward to it. Now, uh, we only have a few seconds left. And um, so if people want to learn more about your campaign, where should they go? MarianneForCongress.com, and then next Monday night, May 19th, I hope people will join us for a pre-election rally with Alanis, uh, 7.30 p.m. at the Saban Theater in Beverly Hills. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure, Ms. Williamson, and best of luck to you. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. When you started your business, you first listened to your professors. Now that your business is growing and gaining ground, you only seek out professionals. PPC Professionals, an industry leader for highly optimized search marketing campaigns with over 30 years of combined management experience. Our professional approach to every campaign helps you find every avenue of revenue so that you can not only stay ahead of your competitors, but get a return on your investment and increase your bottom line. PPC Professionals, personal, professional, PPC services. PPCProfessionals.com. Before you painstakingly create another label or drag yourself to the post office, set a course to ShipStation, your key to e-commerce shipping nirvana. Save time by easily importing orders from wherever you sell, like Amazon, eBay, and over 40 others. Save money with discounted USPS rates and a free USPS account. Automate manual tasks through bulk label and invoice printing, custom shipping rules, and much more. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get an additional 30 days free after the free 30-day trial. Go to ShipStation.com slash WebmasterRadio now. Shipping Nirvana starts here. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Who dares enter the sacred and awesome presence of the everlasting know-it-all, Yoga? My name is Barry Schwartz. I am the keeper of a greater magic, a power known throughout the universe as the... The Force? No, the Schwartz. What's something to check out? Discover the power of Barry Rusty Brick Schwartz and the search in your roundtable on the Pulse. the Pulse. On demand anytime. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Never underestimate the power of the Schwartz. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. 
All right, this is Bennett Kelly. We're back. Um, we've heard from the top four candidates for the open congressional seat being big um, with retiring Henry Waxman. And uh, I have on board um, someone I've known for a number of years, a fellow Hoya lawyer, um, Kobe King, who's a public affairs consultant and attorney based in Los Angeles, among his many involvements, and so he's a member of the California Democratic Party Executive Committee and chairman of VICA, the Valley Industry and Commerce Association. Kobe, are you there? Um, all right, so let me um, yep. see if we can do what we can do with Kobe. But Kobe has a, a varied background. He's uh, very respected here in Southern California in terms of someone who's very knowledgeable about um, political affairs here and uh, is a very um, well-known and respected um, person in public affairs. And um, and so um, hopefully we'll have him on here in a second. Um, it, I thought the, um, I thought the uh, debate was very interesting. I thought um, he um, – Kobe, are you there? I am. Great. Welcome to the show. Sorry about the confusion. Um, great to have you. Um, we did your intro uh, we, and so, um, but we are um, trying to. What, what's what should people um, keep in mind when they listen to these four um, interviews? Well, it's you know obviously Bennett, as as I'm sure uh, has has come out in all the interviews, it's a really historic race. I mean, Henry Waxman is one of the lines of Congress. He's been. In Congress, uh, since both of, uh, since before you and I even started Georgetown Law School. And, uh, <laughs> and, and as we both know, that was some years ago. Yes, uh, so, so. No, no dates yeah. allowed. And no dates allowed, but, uh, a, a long time. Uh, and so what you've got is a, a real scramble, um, for, uh, for a seat that, uh, you know, if, if someone, you know, whoever pulls this off is probably going to be in office for a while and has one of the most affluent uh, districts to represent, and, and that can translate to power. So it's a real opportunity for a lot of people. So kind of looking at the race, um, you know, as, as most commentators have looked at, there's kind of a, a big four, um, you know, big three Democrats, a decline to state who's really in the mix, and then a Republican who, because of this top two system that we have now, is is a bit of a wild card. And, you know, the three Democrats, obviously, are Ted Lieu, who hails from the South Bay, Wendy Gruel, who really her base has been for years the San Fernando Valley, but just moved into uh, the district, and then Matt Miller, who, um, who as you mentioned, uh, has been a, uh, a, a columnist and a, and a talk host. And then finally, Marion Williamson, uh, who, uh, whose interview just ended, who was running even before Waxman uh, announced that he was retiring, and uh, although a lifelong Democrat, has been running as, a, as an independent. And yeah, then she's finally, the only one uh, of those majors who was in the race yeah. before Waxman. That's right. That's right. The only one. And and she's been running hard, and she's been running hard for a long time, and she's attracted a great deal of excitement and support from, uh, from a whole variety of places, uh, although, uh, frankly, mostly on the west side. Uh, and then uh, David Knuth, who you uh, interviewed earlier, a uh, defense attorney who surprised everybody by raising just a ton of money. And is still one of the leading fundraisers in the race, if not the leading fundraiser. And then finally, kind of the Republican wild card, uh, Elon Carr, who is raising enough money to be respectable. And because, after all, the um, uh, the Republicans do have about a quarter of uh, the registrants in this race, if they come out to vote, which we don't know if they will, if they do turn out, 
and they uh, and Elon does a good job of reaching out to them as Republicans, uh, probably through the mail, then uh, then you know he's got a real good shot to take one of those top two spots. Now I will say that if he does do that, because this is such a Democratic seat with a 16 point uh, Democrat over Republican registration. Uh, the, either one of the Democrats or Marianne Williamson, if she manages to take that other slot, will probably, I mean, frankly, cruise to victory in November. Um, so it's really interesting. If, if Elon makes it in, then it's a real dogfight among the other five to see who's going to make it. And then uh, if he doesn't, then then we'll probably have a fight all the way to November between, uh, you know, either two Democrats or one Democrat and Williamson. So that's kind of the political landscape. When you dig a little deeper, though, you know, one of the things I like to look at is uh, money uh, and endorsements and and also kind of where people's political bases are. And in this case, uh, things do seem to be uh, kind of putting aside, you know, whether or not Elon Carr gets into it. it things do seem to be lining up pretty well for uh, State Senator Ted Lieu. And uh, my thinking on that is if you look at where the political bases are for the other, uh, for Williamson and the other three Democrats, they really, their bases really are all in the uh, kind of Los Angeles portion of the district. And uh, one of the things that I think a lot of people, outsiders especially, don't realize about the 33rd Congressional District is that when the district was reapportioned in 2011, uh, it was really reapportioned from a district that was predominantly the west side, uh, maybe a little bit of uh, the parts of Los Angeles around LAX, and then a, a chunk of West Hollywood and into um, kind of more affluent southwest areas of the San Fernando Valley. But that district has been strongly shifted to the south to include a big chunk of the uh, South Bay cities, uh, places like El Segundo and uh, Torrance and Manhattan Beach and Redondo Beach, Hermosa Beach, those places that really weren't familiar with Waxman. And I think you saw that in 2012 when Waxman had a real hard time uh, fending off uh, a uh, pretty much a no-name Republican, only won by, I believe, eight points. So this is uh, not... A no-name Republican with several millions to spend. <laughs> true, true, absolutely true. And, and, he, and he, he presented himself as a moderate. But nonetheless, for Henry Waxman to be held under 55% was really a wake-up call. And, and I think that might be one of the reasons that he decided retirement might not be a bad idea right now. Is it was going to be uh, not a tough seat for him to hold, but this is a guy who's really not used to having to campaign every two years. And so uh, it's, it's, a, it's a different district. And so with a big chunk of the district now centered in the South Bay, where the only candidate who's really well known down there is Ted Lieu. I think Ted really comes in to the uh, to the race with an advantage because if he can hold uh, a, the Democratic vote in the South Bay and let Marion Williamson, Wendy Gruel, Matt Miller, David Knuth split kind of the West Side and the small piece of the Canal Valley that's now in the district, among them, Ted's got a pretty good shot of really getting into uh, certainly making one of the top two slots, and then if Carr. Uh, you know, slips in as the lone Republican, uh, it would be Ted and Elon uh, down the line. The thing with Ted um, that he stands out, he's the only elected. And so that gives him, you know, uh, an advantage in terms of endorsements, um, in terms of exposure. So I, I think, you know, I'm just kind of agreeing with much of what you said. 
Uh, the one thing that story that I thought would be very interesting, I'm not sure, uh, see how it plays out in the end of the campaign, was David Knuth and uh, whether he can be become embraced as the Silicon Beach Rocky um, or not. And uh, it's, it's unclear whether he's breaking out yet. Yeah, I mean, he's got an attractive story, and uh, and and certainly the fact that he was able to raise uh, so much money is uh, is is really impressive. Uh, but the problem, uh, as as anyone who has run for office in Los Angeles knows, that Nate, because you're in the Los Angeles media market, doing the kind of saturating saturation TV advertising that is necessary to build name ID is really, really expensive. And it's almost impossible to do that for even something as big as a congressional race. And so David's big problem is going to be really establishing that, uh, it's just raising his name ID and establishing that he's uh, not only a qualified candidate, but that people should vote for him instead of one of these better-known candidates. Uh, you know, Senator Lou likes to say that he already represents 85% of the district, but, uh, you know. So who do you think was uh, best on substance on tech? Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, Ted is, Ted's pretty thoughtful. Uh, um, and obviously while he didn't know all the details of uh, some of the issues that you raised, uh, I mean, clearly he's given a lot of thought to these issues. He's been a real strong proponent of uh, net neutrality and also, uh, you know, has, has kind of been out in front on some First Amendment issues related to the NSA. So I think Ted would, Ted certainly understands the importance of tech. And, uh, and you know, I like, I, I think that people who, um, uh, people who often represent aerospace areas, Areas also understand tech, and obviously, right. it's a big part of economy. Um, That's Marion, you know, obviously comes, yeah, and and Marion Williamson obviously comes from a you know, you know, let's face it, fairly left of center point of view, and I think a lot of the things that she's concerned about are going to be in the net neutrality and constitutional issues around the NSA, and ensuring that uh, kind of the big tech giants don't uh, invade our privacy too much. So. I mean, I think she's got some, uh, she's certainly got some knowledge of the issue. Is she going to be someone who's going to be as friendly to, uh, to Silicon Beach as maybe some others? I think that's, uh, that, that remains to be seen. All right, Toby, we only have a few minutes left, so this is our speed dating moment. Um, who, who, what's your pick for one, two, and three in this race in terms of likely to happen? Not what I you think wish. I, 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 I pick Ted Lou. I, I, Honestly, I pick Elon Carr to come in first. I think Ted Lieu comes in second. I think uh, I think then it's a real fight between uh, Wendy uh, Gruel and, and Marion Williamson for third. But third place doesn't do it in this race, so it doesn't really matter. Right, it's a constant nice prize, but um, yep. you get you get a you get a certificate for playing called an FCC report to file. Now, um, That's right. and and with, we'd like to for people who want to hear more of your insights and learn more about you, where should they go? Well, uh, my, uh, my website is, uh, is available and, uh, it's high point, just, uh, Google high point strategies and Kobe King and it'll come up pretty quickly. And, uh, more than happy to, uh, uh, to answer any emails and to, uh, to continue the conversation. Thank you very much, Kobe. When are you going to run? 
Well, we'll see. We'll see. I've got a couple of kids to put through college first, Bennett, and then, uh, <laughs> then we'll take a look. So, uh, well, thank you very much, Kobe. It's been great. And I want to thank all of you for joining us for the special two-hour edition of uh, Cyberlaw Business Report, the inaugural Silicon Beach Congressional Debate. I want to thank all the candidates for joining us. And if you're listening to this on podcast, make sure you check out Volume 1. Um, and, uh, again, thanks all of you. Um, hope you'll uh, hope this helps you in deciding maybe who to vote for. And um, I hope you, it makes you think more about some of these issues as they're pending in Washington, even you know, regardless of whether you're in Silicon Beach or not. But next, I um, look forward to having you next week. This is Bennett Kelly. You've been listening to Cyberlaw and Business Report from the Internet Law Center here in Santa Monica, California, the heart of Silicon Beach. Have a great day. We'll be back next week. has been a presentation of webmasterradio.fm the world's largest business to business radio and podcast network we welcome you to sample past episodes of this program as well as our complete library of programs on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.webmasterradio.fm the opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.